0: Good morning. Good to see everybody. Always good to see everybody. So, if you would, please open your Bibles to, or your phones, whatever you bring that you look at for your Bible, uh, to First Timothy chapter four. Uh, we'll be finishing chapter four today, and. Moving forward after that, so 1 Timothy chapter 4. Today we'll be looking at, Oh, that's 1 Thessalonians, so that probably isn't going to be good. You guys are probably going to be wondering, where where are you? (laughs) So we'll go ahead and finish these things up. So um, let's go ahead and pray and then we'll get started. Father we thank you for your your love for each and every one of us lord that you would send christ father to be the substitute for our sin lord may we always marvel in this and father i just i i come to you today lord and you know i know my my heart is heavy for things that are going on, Lord, in our little church. And Lord, I just want to pray, Father, for hearts that are hurting, Lord, whether it be emotional or physical pain, Lord, I want to pray for them, Father, that you would come and comfort them. Lord, I know that Man is always going to fail us. He's never going to measure up, but, Lord, you will never fail us. So, Father, I pray that you would bring comfort to those families that need the comfort, Lord. I pray you would bring healing, Father, whether it be physical or emotional or mental, Lord, to those in this little body that need it, Father, Lord, I thank you that we can rejoice that you always do what's right. Father, thank you that you answer prayer. Thank you, Father, that you do heal our hearts. So, Father, I just want to praise you for these things, for you are good, Lord. Even when we think things are bad, we know that you are good. Even when we are hurting, Father, we know that you still have your hand in it. And it ultimately is always for our good. So, Father, I just lift up faith Bible to you today, Lord, and just ask that you would have your hand upon this little church, Lord. Continue to bless us, continue to heal us, Continue to guide us and comfort us, Lord, the only way that you know how. That we would know that it is truly from you. And for this we give you praise. I ask now, Lord, that your spirit would come and accompany the preaching of your word. That your word would be heard, Lord. And that we would receive your word with much joy and anticipation. Father, that our lives would be changed and our hearts would be moved. And that you would be glorified in all of it. In your name, amen. Okay, so we've been going through chapter four, these three parts, and essentially what Paul is doing is these are pastoral epistles, and so Paul is encouraging Timothy on how to be an effective minister, right? How to pastor this church at Ephesus that uh, has gone awry in false doctrine and... um, and what he is to do. And even within Timothy's own life. And that's what we've been looking at. The good servant. Because it's just not Paul talking specifically to Timothy. And the things that should be going on in his life. But it's also God talking to us. And these are characteristics that we should have in our lives also. And so I want us to look at 1 Timothy chapter 4. And uh, I want to start in. I want to start in verse 11, or verse 12, and I want to read through the end of the chapter. He says, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example, and these are the, these are the characteristics, in speech and conduct in love in faith and impurity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that you all may see so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. And so these are characteristics that we are looking at. If we remember back a few weeks back, we just dealt with the characteristics of the one verse of um, that, that we are to be examples in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. And so today we'll finish the, the rest of these and, uh, and hopefully be encouraged by them. So the good servant, let's start into this. Our first point is he's to be exemplary in his Bible or in his ministry. This is where he's to be exemplary in. He's to be the example of this. Look at 1 Timothy 4.13. He says, until I come, devote yourself to public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. Now, this is saying, it really says, in the original Greek, it says, until I come, devote yourself to reading, to reading Scripture. So in that time, the public reading of Scripture would have been within the worship service. It would have been the reading of the Old Testament, mainly, because that is what they had. Now, when we have the public reading of Scripture, it's to... The whole Bible. We read both out of the Old Testament and the New Testament. But it was also the letters that were sent. The letters that were sent were to be read in the congregation. And this is what Timothy was to continually do. This is the word devoted, right? Devoted is to uh, apply oneself. It's to uh, regard, to have heed for, to pay attention to. He was to pay attention to the reading of the scripture. He was to pay attention to the, the reading of these letters. Just like you and I should be paying attention to how much Bible time we have. We should heed the Bible time we have in our personal devotions. In, uh, when we go to a, a, a sermon or we listen to somebody, how much of the Bible do they use? Or how much of it is just their opinion? We have to be able to discern between wisdom and opinion. And when we're in the Word, we understand those things. But we see where Paul encourages that the readings of these letters that were being sent out also. In Colossians 4.16, he says this, And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from the Laodiceans. And in First Thessalonians 5.27, he says, I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read, to all the brothers. So as Paul's letters were being circulated, it was to be read in the churches that they were at. This would be the reading of the scriptures, the Old Testament reading that they would also do. Now he tells Timothy not only to devote himself to the reading of Scriptures, but to devote himself to exhortation. To this exhortation. This is applying the word that was a taught. This was applying what we read in the Word to our lives. It exhorts us, it encourages us, right? Exhortation can come in, in the forms of comfort or correction or warning or counsel. And this is something that we are to do for each other. It's, it's a gift. In Romans 12, as Paul is talking about the gifts that are given within the church, exhortation is one of them. In Romans twelve eighty, he says, the one who exhorts in his exhortation. The one who contributes in his generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does not act, does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So we see that it's a gifting that exhortation is, to exhort one another, to run the race, to finish the race well. This is something we should all do, especially the leadership. And sometimes the leadership fails in exhorting. It really does. It can fail in exhorting. Listen to Titus 2.5. Again, this is a pastoral epistle. Paul tells Titus, as one of the elders, declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. So in exhorting, we as servants want to inform the conscience so that the Holy Spirit may do the work in capturing the heart. That's what we want to do in our exhorting. We want to exhort one another So that it would inform the mind so that the Holy Spirit would convict the heart. So that we would live these lives that are exemplary lives in our reading, in our exhortation, in the teaching. In the teaching, Paul was concerned with the teaching, right? This is where he says this. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching, We've dealt with the false doctrines, and he's going to talk more about false doctrines as we keep going on. But he has devoted himself to his teaching. We are to distribute sound doctrine to the sheep. This is what the elders are supposed to do. We are to continually bring sound doctrine to you. That is how you grow. That is how you eat. That is how you are nourished. Now, how do we do this? Well, it's done in many different ways. It's Sunday school is where we get sound doctrine. It's the pulpit preaching is where sound doctrine comes from. Home fellowships. We get good teaching within the home fellowships. Discipleships, one-on-one discipleships, meeting with each other, encouraging one another right? As iron sharpens iron. This is what we want to do in our teaching. There's times when we're on the phone where we just talk with each other and we're teaching one another in what we read. It's fellowshipping with each other. This is what we should be devoted to. We should pay attention to. We should heed these things. 1 Timothy 4:4-6 4, 4, says this, If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of, of the good doctrine that you have followed. In 2 Timothy 4.2, Paul says it this way, Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. excuse me, Titus 2.1. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. So our teaching, whether we're teaching our children, whether we're teaching our grandchildren, whether we're teaching our great-grandchildren, it should be sound. It should be sound. The first thing, our lives, and even within the pastorate, should be marked, our ministry should be marked by being very biblical. Secondly, the good servant is exemplary in his gifting. In his gifting. Look at verse 14. He says, do not neglect the gift you have which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Now, we don't do that nowadays. We just kind of see the gifting. God reveals the gifting. We don't really lay hands or anything on people to, to see their giftings. But this was how Timothy was. But, it's just, it's just, uh, but it wasn't to neglect that gifting, right? This neglect, it's a command, not to neglect it. Paul's not giving us a suggestion here. He's telling us not to neglect our gifting. And this is crucial for the church. This neglect is not to be careless or to make light of our giftings. This is how it looks. We all are gifted. But sometimes we can let our gifting go by the wayside, can't we? Because we can sit there as believers, even in a small church, and say, Well, you know what? They'll take care of it. He'll take care of it. She'll take care of it. Even though we know we're gifted in those areas, we all have this gift. And serving each other, it can be difficult because we're difficult people, we're not perfect. We are not perfect, but we all have this gift. Listen to 1 Peter 4.10. As each has received a gift. This is God talking to us. When he saves you, he gifts you. You cannot sit here if you're a believer and sit here and say, well, I'm not gifted. No, you are gifted. You have received a gift. Now, I don't know what that gift is. It could be preaching, it could be teaching, it could be exhorting, it could be hospitality, it could be administrative, it could be comforting, it could be where you're the prayer warrior, you're the one who is always praying for everybody. It could be all these things. You could be multi-gifted. God gives gifts. And why does he give these gifts? Look at what it says. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say sit on it. He doesn't say put it away. He gives us a gift and he says what? Use it. Use the gift I have given you to do what? To serve one another. This is what he's encouraging us to do. As good stewards of God's varied grace. So when we actually use our gifts to serve each other, we are seeing God's grace in action. This is what we are to do. This is an exemplary life, is when we do not neglect our gifting. And this is given by the Holy Spirit. Listen to this. It's a little bit lengthy, but 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 11. It says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gift of healings by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So the Holy Spirit is the one who gives us the gifting. The Holy Spirit is the one who distributes the gifting, and the Holy Spirit is the one who gives us the power to put the gifting forward. I was trying to look for a a good word, but it didn't come. So that's what he does. We are gifted people, and we should be using that gifting. So the good servant not only is biblically centered in his ministry, but the good servant is also conscious. He doesn't neglect his gifting because he ultimately knows that it glorifies God. Third, the good servant is exemplary in his work, in his ministry, in his ministry. Listen to 415. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that you may see your progress. This is what he does. He practices them, right? This is I. I love this. This word "practice" is uh, to meditate on and to take pains with, right? We see this in the medical field, right? The medical field is not perfect, right? It's the practice of medicine. They're continually practicing. They don't have it down. It's the same thing for pastors and elders and us as Christians. We don't have this down. We make mistakes, right? We have, the the, the people put, the, the congregation puts expectations on pastors and elders, and sometimes we don't meet that expectation because we're practicing, It's not an excuse. We should meet those expectations. We should be conscious of those things. But sometimes we fail in those things. And just as us as believers in general, we do that, right? There's things that we're still practicing. This Christian walk is not perfect. We don't have it down. We don't wake up in the morning going, well, I got it down today. You know, we don't pray and sit there and say, Lord, you just sit back today, watch me walk. I got it down today. Right, We don't do that. It's this practice. We take pains with it. I love that. Take pains with it because a lot of times in our Christian life, it comes with pains. It comes with pains. But, he, but we, we work through it. Ministry, brothers and sisters, as, as pastors or elders, as Martin and Dick, and, and when we pray, when we pray for you guys, it, we, we, we take pains with it. This is how it is. It's work. It's work to pray. There's sometimes where, and I have to change my own mindset. There's sometimes I wake up and Jenny will confess to this, and I'll be sitting there and I'll be like, man, you know, I have to preach this week. I have to have a message this week. I have to call so and so. I have to do this. I have to do that. I got to change my mindset. And I'm being honest with you guys. This happens to me. But what I need to do is I need to change my mindset and use the word get. I get to preach this week. I get to call somebody this week. We all have to change our mindsets and we have to change our tunes until we get to do this. This makes the work more joyful. We don't get burned out this way. We immerse ourselves into it. We give ourselves wholly to the work of sharing the gospel, of preaching the word, of calling somebody. See, when we get to do it, it's no longer a chore. But when we have to do it, then it becomes a chore. I have to shovel the sidewalk, right? I have to do these things. But when we use the words get, it's a whole different thing. This means we don't become unstable in our ways. When we get to do this, God grounds us deep. Listen to what James says about the unstable man. This is the unstable servant. If any one of you lacks wisdom, this is James 1, 5 through 8. If any one of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him who asks in faith with no doubting, For the one who doubts is like the waves of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. That person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. This this is the person that doesn't wholly give himself to the work. He's double-minded. He's fickle. He's fickle. He's tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine that comes through. Oh, well, this is happening now. We need to get on the bandwagon. Oh, this book just came out. we got to teach this book in the congregation instead of sticking with this book, <laughs> right? They're tossed to and fro. They're fickle. They're unstable. They're turbulent. They're all over the place, right? That's what he says. For that person, uh, he's driven, and tossed by the wind. This is the unstable man. Brothers and sisters, this is not the good servant. This should not be our lives. We should be rooted and grounded in who Christ is. We should not be tossed to and fro. We should be grounded in who he is. This is good for us. The good servant is always ready to give a defense. We should be always ready to give a defense for our faith, to stand up for what we believe. We should always be ready for that. First Peter 3:15, but you in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. How we present the gospel, how we preach the gospel, It must be there in gentleness and respect. There it is. What a beautiful passage, right? What a beautiful verse, you know? Whoever asks for the hope that is in you, pray that, brothers and sisters. Pray that God would bring people to you so that they would see this hope. When you interact with people, do they see that hope in you? Or do we just interact with Christians? Is that it? Or do we actually go out into the public square and interact with unbelievers and they can look and say, wow, look, that marriage is different. Wow, look, that person is different. Wonder why they're different. There's something about them that's different. And then we can come and say, we have a hope. We have a hope, brothers and sisters, that will never disappoint We have a hope that in some people's lives this week, they're seeing that hope now. It's reality to them now. Their eyes are open to it. That's our hope. We should be ready to give that defense, that hope. The good servant is hopeful. The good servant is wholly devoted to his work. And the good servant is continually growing. Like I said, practicing, right? Elders, pastors, servants, we're continually growing. We're continually growing. Listen to 1 Timothy 4:15. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. This furtherance, we should be growing in our faith. We should be growing more in love with Jesus. <clears throat> excuse me we should be growing in knowledge and wisdom our lives should reflect that we should be growing even paul admitted that he needed to grow paul didn't have it nailed down either and that's encouraging because see we look at paul as like the super apostle right he was the apostle of apostles when paul took off his his uh his cloak, he had a big A, right? Because he was a super apostle. But Paul, when we look at Paul, he was humble. He was vulnerable. He knew he needed Christ. He knew he needed to grow. Listen to First Philippians 3.12. <coughs> Excuse me. Not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect. So he's saying, I'm not perfect but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. And he footed, this is on the heels of to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. He says in 13, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Wow, what a statement for us. What a statement for us. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. What's back there in the past? I'm letting it go. I'm forgetting what lies behind. I'm forgetting how, for Paul, his self-righteous Jewish life. What is it for us? We hold on to the things in the past. I hold on to things in the past. Trust me. If you come and spend some time with me, you'll know. You'll be sitting there going, dude, you need to let it go. I really do. This is what Paul's saying. The past, if we hold on to the past, we never go forward. Because we're too busy living back here. Where we can't change anything. We need to be moving forward in our Christian walk. We need to be pressing forward in our Christian walk. Why? For the upward call of God. That is what we press on towards. Not the past. I love that. Paul says, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward. That means it's a work, brothers and sisters. It's a work for us to forget what lies behind. But we have to try to move this way. We have to try to move this way. We're continually growing in Christlikeness. Finally, the good servant is exemplary in his self-examination. Again, pastors, elders, they must be always examining their lives. Must be always examining their life. Their personal holiness, their teaching must always be put on and must always be examined. And sometimes pastors and elders, we have blind spots and we don't always see our blind spots. That is why we need you all. Is so that you can show us where we are blind. You can show us where we make mistakes because it's only going to make us better. But we have to always be examining ourselves. And not only that, but even as just believers, we have to always be examining ourselves because we're all servants of God. And the servant of God has to be examining himself. This is what he says. Keep a close watch on yourself and on your teaching. Persist in this. For by doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. It's a personal holiness. We, as believers, have to keep in mind and examine our personal holiness where are we what am i watching what am i looking at what are my thoughts am i wicked am i not wicked am i repenting am i not repenting am i letting satan have his way our personal holiness how much time we spend in the word how much we time how much time we spend in prayer i went to a conference one time with prayer and it was amazing they were talking about prayer at the conference and it was a pastor's conference and at this conference it was called together for the gospel it was in louisville kentucky they said that the that the average time that a pastor prays per day for his congregation for the people in the congregation for the sermon for his life is seven minutes It's seven minutes. That's it. That's sad. Your personal holiness, seven minutes? Well, I guess we should be thankful that they pray. But there should be more things. Our personal holiness is at stake here, brothers and sisters. How much do you value your soul? If I asked one of you to pluck your eye out and give it to me for a million dollars, how many of you would do it? Probably none of you. So you know the value on your eye is a million dollars. What's the value on your soul? Seven minutes? Brothers and sisters, I'm telling you this now. Martin, Dick, and I, we should be on our knees continually for you all because we have to give an account for your souls. You should be praying for us that we are praying for you because we've got to give that account. Our personal holiness is at stake here. This is heavy. Paul is not joking around with Timothy. He's telling Timothy, your personal holiness, Timothy, is at stake here. You better watch how you talk, how you conduct yourself. You better be sure you're in purity. You better be sure your ministry is rooted in the Bible. You better be sure you're gifting and you're using that. You better be sure you're growing. But you know what that takes? It takes being vulnerable. All of us have to be vulnerable. We have to be, we all have flaws. We can't be hiding in the closet. We have to be willing to bring those flaws out. This is how we grow. This is our personal holiness, is when we understand the holes that we have in our holiness holes we have. John eight thirty one. What a beautiful passage. This is what Jesus said. So Jesus said to them, to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. This is our personal holiness, abiding in the Word. Second Corinthians three thirteen five, exam this isn't in your thing. Examine yourselves. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Do we do this? Do we examine ourselves? Do we look at our lives? Do we look at our speech, our conduct, (coughs) our holiness? Do we examine our lives and say, to see if we're in the faith? Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. We're to examine ourselves, right? Our teaching, we've talked about our teaching, is to be sound. That teaching is to be sound. But also within our personal holiness is persevering. Are we persevering in the faith? Do we continue to, as Paul says, strain forward? It's perseverance, right? It's perseverance. Listen to Matthew 10, 22. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. It's our endurance. Matthew twenty four thirteen. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Colossians 1, 23. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister, if you indeed continue in the faith, If we endure to the end, continue in the faith. Hebrews 3.14 For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. This is perseverance. The one who endures to the end will be saved. Guess who the one who is saved? is the one who perseveres to the end. But do you do this under your own strength? Absolutely not. We can't. We can't do it under our own strength. It's We persevere because God has us in his hands, because we have the Holy Spirit, because we have God's strength. That is why we persevere. You and I don't persevere to the end because of our own strength. We persevere to the end because God has ordained in our lives for us to persevere to the end, and he is the one who gives us the strength to persevere to the end. These are all characteristics that you should look for in your elders and in your pastors, but these are also all characteristics that should be exemplary in all of our lives. So to that I close with with that, that we would be encouraged to live lives that are exemplary, that those around us will see our hope and that they will see Christ and they will want to be with him. Let's pray. Father, again, we are so grateful and so thankful for your word. Lord, only you can do the work that is impossible to do. So, Father, strengthen us all. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for this time. Thank you for all that are here today to hear this, Lord. Please guide us, comfort us, encourage us, and exhort us through the week, Lord. May you be lifted up, and may you be praised. In your name, amen. Please, let's stand as we sing our last song.